It's April 28th, 2001, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So back in 2001, there were two principal ways for Americans to go up into space. One was to dedicate your life to science and aeronautics and then be chosen for the NASA space program. The other was to dedicate some of your life to science and aeronautics, then pivot to investment management, thereby earning you a spare $20 million to hand to the Russians so you could go up into space with them. Something 60-year-old <laughs> businessman Dennis Tito did on this day, becoming, in effect, the first ever space tourist. Yeah, and it's easy to imagine this as being the whim of a smug, clueless billionaire, not naming any names of any smug, clueless billionaires who may have gone to space <laughs> recently. But as you touched on, Ollie, Tito was no dilettante when it came to space. He had a degree in astronautics and aeronautics, a master's in engineering, and his first job was actually at NASA in their jet propulsion lab, where he helped design trajectories for the Mariner missions to Mars and Venus. So he wasn't, he wasn't you know, just some kind of amateur who liked to read space.com occasionally. No, and it was on a business trip to Russia uh, in his other life as an investment manager that he uh, encountered some senior Russian types who let slip to him that they would be interested in taking his money to let him into their space programme on the Mir space station, but then that was decommissioned. So it was then a question of, well, we still want to take his $20 million, but how can we get him up to the International Space Station? And an opportunity came up to put him on board a scheduled flight with a Soyuz supply mission, uh, which is basically like uh, like the Amazon delivery truck of the ISS, isn't it? Like they go up for eight <laughs> days. It actually took two days of orbiting the Earth, which uh, entails 16 orbits a day before they caught up with the space station. And by the time they got in there, the three crew members who had been there for about two months were really, he said, they welcomed them with open arms. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'd never really thought about this, but the, the amount of tension that could build up between astronauts <laughs> stuck in that confined a space for that amount of time. You must be just desperate for the breath of fresh air that is anyone else, whether they're a professional astronaut or not. Yeah, it's like when new um, contestants come into Big Brother, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Tito and his crewmates definitely bought the party. He said afterwards that one of the Russian cosmonauts really liked to sing. Really good singer, liked to sing Beatles songs, so we were just dancing in space. They must have been a pretty welcome arrival. I do sometimes think that about the work that goes on at the ISS, where they're like, and today we're going to be experimenting on how ants react to alfalfa in zero gravity. And you're like, do we need to know this exactly? <laughs> you know, you guys are just dicking around up there. <laughs> Well, that is kind of how NASA felt about him. Like, spaces on the International Space Station were precious. NASA hated the idea that he was going up there. Um, with the Russians. And this was an astonishing reverse ferret from NASA, to be honest, because in the early years of space exploration, they definitely saw commercial space travel as being a big part of their future. And, they, and at one stage, they envisioned up to 60 shuttle flights a year packed with paying customers. And so in the 1980s, when they felt they were ready to send the first civilian into space, they decided to turn it into a, a contest. And so amid great fanfare, they ended up picking a teacher from New Hampshire called Kristen McAuliffe. She'd been chosen from 11,000 educators because NASA specifically wanted to send a teacher as the first civilian in space. 
and she went up on the Challenger and as you may recall the Challenger obviously broke up shortly after launch and what was particularly horrifying was that not only were millions of Americans gathered around to see the launch of spacecraft that NASA had actually encouraged schools to stage special assemblies and show it on TV so that Mm. the kids could see a teacher going into space obviously all they saw was like the incredibly traumatic disaster Mm. and so after this NASA put a blanket ban on civilians in space. I mean, to this day, many private space travellers still object to the idea that they're space tourists and they have come up with all sorts of different euphemistic ways to refer to themselves, in part, I suppose, because they often do get swept into the science on board once they're up there, but also, I suppose, because there is something a bit pejorative about being called a space tourist in the first place. So they've got terms like private astronaut or pioneer of commercial space travel or private researcher. (laughs) NASA now... that it's loosened up a little bit goes with spaceflight participant. Yeah, because now, ever since 2019, NASA has opened up the ISS to space tourists as well. Um, but back then, they only agreed in the end to allowing Mr. Tito on board the space station on the condition that he agree not to sue if he was injured. How American is that concern? <laughs> Never mind how we can get his frozen corpse back to Earth. <laughs> Just like, so long as his family don't sue us. Um, that he were to pay for anything that he breaks and that he was only allowed to sleep in the Russian sections of the station. Oh, wow. It feels like they're being petty towards the end. Like, <laughs> yeah. what's he going to do sleeping in the American section? Like, sing Beatles songs too loudly? Well, actually, you also, mentioned that, actually. He did listen to opera. I found this quote. It goes to what you were saying, Aaron, about just how scientifically useful was his contribution. He said, we had some portholes that looked out to the side and we could see the edges of Earth. So we had two different kinds of views. I mean, to be fair, the thing that people always ask about is, you know, how did it feel to see Earth from space? We would go from one view to the other and I would spend most of the 45 minutes, which is half of one orbit, and be either videotaping the view or just sitting for 45 minutes, peering out, listening to opera and just enjoying the experience. I was thinking, if I was the cosmonaut next to him, I'm not sure like that's the guy I'd want in front of an important lever. You it's, know what I mean? It's like when you... <laughs> Chilling, when you, listening to opera, taking in the view. If you picture it, like picture it like a movie scene where it's like starts close in on Tito and he's got his headphones in and you can hear the opera yeah. the soundtrack and it pulls back and, and pulls back and you see all these scientists, panic. astronauts hurrying backwards and forwards with like trays of test tubes. <laughs> Someone being sucked out the window. You know? <laughs> Well, if the experiment had been how happy can you make just one person, then it would have been absolutely a success because he's just the most cheery chap whenever you hear him interviewed. I found this quote where he said, I often thought that if I did spend my last penny, he was a multimillionaire, so he never needed to face that particular thing. He said, I could live on social security for the rest of my life and still be happy because I'd achieved what I wanted to achieve. He said, I I think I'm one of the happiest humans alive because of that. The way that quote is presented, it's very much appealing to kind of the American dream, isn't it? That's how Americans think of wealth and entrepreneurialism. Oh, I could be that guy. Maybe if I saved millions of dollars, I could go into space. But that is very much not how he was seen then. I found an interview that he did uh, on David Letterman in 2001. And he explains that his $20 million represented 15% of the Russian space program budget, which was 1% the size of NASA's. And there's laughter from the audience. And Letterman's like, didn't that put you off knowing that you're 
million was 15% of their budget, and the audience kind of laughs at that as well. And he says, well, no, because, you know, I was using the same rocket that the Russians have been using for 30 years, and they've never had an accident. And then Letterman's like, but it's a 30-year-old rocket, and the audience all laughs again. <laughs> and there's very clear sort of subtext that, like, the American audience were like, this guy was lucky to get away with his life, but, you know, it would have served him right if he'd have blown up in midair because he went and gave all his money to the Russians. Whereas actually, just two years later, seven astronauts died aboard the space shuttle Columbia as it re-entered the Earth's atmosphere. And following that, it was the American space shuttle program that was halted and the International Space Station that was supplied entirely by Russian spacecraft for two and a half years. Yeah, and that's actually what put a halt to this burgeoning trade in, you know, high profile businessmen going into space, because these Soyuz rockets took a handful of other clients into space between 2001 and 2009. But because the US space shuttle got decommissioned in 2011, that meant that the Soyuz rockets were now the only means of accessing the International Space Station. So they couldn't afford to be accommodating randoms anymore, like they needed all of that space. And it wasn't until 2020 that we had a US spacecraft that was capable of the, those human crewed missions, and that's SpaceX's Crew Dragon. Yeah, and there have now been 30- 13 commercial trips to space, but five of them were in the last year. So there's this real heating up of the competition. But I sort of feel like the reason why there's been this pushback that started to emerge in the wake of particularly those missions that launched last year is because it was exciting. The idea of us all being able to go to space was really exciting when you when it was hypothetical. But now that we're seeing it happen and realising that it's something that is A, very exclusive, and B, looks rather like a waste of money given what you could achieve with that amount of wealth if you applied it elsewhere. I think that started to make people go, do you know what, maybe this is a bit more questionable than we'd previously thought. Yeah, and Tito kind of had it right, I think. You know, putting myself in the position of an American billionaire, I kind of think actually, I know $20 million in 2001 would be more now. Let's say it's, I don't know, $35 million. A better spend of $35 million to go on a spacecraft that's going up anyway on a genuine scientific mission and help contribute to a national space program with real science to do. It's better spend of that money than to try and create my own pleasure rocket for other millionaires <laughs> to come up on. Yeah, I'll go up there and be the opera listening guy, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow. And it would give indecisive buyers time to sort of mull over possible purchases without actually leaving. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. 